Cruise Radio is brought to you in part by TripInsurance.com. Travel insurance done right by the people who know travel insurance. Get a quote today at TripInsurance.com. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, what's up? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Coming up a little later on in the show, we'll get a full review of Royal Caribbean's Brilliance of the Seas. Uh, but first, let's talk about Amber Cove. It's Carnival Corp's new cruise pier. On the line right now is Teresa Norton-Massick. She is the cruise beat editor at TravelPulse.com. And Teresa, uh, we just got back there a couple of weeks ago uh, from Amber Cove. When Carnival first announced they were opening Amber Cove, what were your first impressions? Because I was kind of thinking, oh gosh, not another Caribbean cruise port. Well, but it's another new port in the Caribbean. Right. And any time you can have a new port, it piques the interest of repeat cruisers. Um, who want to see someplace different. So it's a, it's a new port of call, essentially, a new cruise destination located on the north coast of the Dominican Republic. But also key here is that it figures in to um, a new sort of a central Caribbean, if you will, itinerary. It's 100 miles from Grand Turk, mm-hmm. and it's also going to be a good spot for an itinerary that also goes to Cuba. Yeah, because Carnival, they stop in two different cruise ports in the DR. They stop in La Romana, which is on the south end, and then on the eastern end, and I could be pronouncing this wrong, but is it Samana? I say it like that. It might be Samana. Sam- yeah, I don't know. I've been there once myself. They were just uh, they were just okay to me. They weren't like awesome ports, but we had a chance to check out Amber Cove, which is the new port on the north coast. It's opening up in October, and Carnival Victory will be the first ship there. So once we got there, we got our boots on the ground, uh, and we learned a little bit about it. What was your first impressions of it? Well, my first impression is that it's it's rather nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got several buildings, you know, and they're built in the architectural style found in the Dominican Republic. It's not that different from Carnival Corp's other developments, you know, Grand Turk, Mahogany Bay. You know, there's a big shopping area, of course, you know, a huge pool, some water slides, zip lines. What's new about this one is there are overwater cabanas that you can rent, mm-hmm. as well as some cabanas that are built on a, a, the hillside. Now, they're going to have local uh, restaurants there and local bars around the cruise pier. You're also going to have like your Diamonds International and Caraloha. But there's going to be a lot of international or uh, not international, but a lot of local flair there as well. Yeah, they did say at least one of the restaurants would have Dominican cuisine. Mm -hmm. And they made a point of making sure some of the vendors, either in the shops or the kiosk, the little booth they'll have, will be local craftsmen and local vendors. Carnival really seems to be making an effort to make this a Dominican Republic, a Porto Plata project. It's not designed, they said, to keep everybody in and keep them out of the Dominican Republic. It's really designed to bring people into Porto Plata and the north coast and get to see uh, the community and that part of the country. What did you think about the transportation infrastructure? Because 12 acres of this cruise port, this cruise pier, is dedicated just to transportation. That's right. And it actually is almost half of the entire development, which mm-hmm. is about 25 acres. So that, to me, says, of course, we were, haven't been able to see it at full swing yet, so we don't know how it's going to operate. But they've spent a lot of time trying to make sure, you know, the motor coaches and the vans and the little transportation can get in and out and people can board and get on their way as easy as possible. 
There's also a second small pier there, um, which will be used just for boarding the, the small boats and catamarans and things for snorkeling adventures and such. Yeah, I did like the fact that it was brought up that they are making all the taxi cabs one color, so everyone knows what color to look for. They're making sure there's no gouging, and also for a taxi cab driver to drive from the cruise pier, they have to know English. That's right, and they're undergoing training as well and customer service and hospitality and that type of thing. It's To me, and I, I could be wrong, but it seems like the DR has one more shot because they had cruise ships 30 years ago and they messed it up. They have one more shot, and this is it. This is it for them, it seems. Yeah, and as we said, there are other cruise ports in the Dominican Republic, but they seem to be visited only occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've been there once on a cruise so, yeah, and I really think that the people in Puerto Plata are so excited about this development. Um, they're really looking at it, as one of the tourism officials told me, the future of Puerto Plata is in Amber Cove. Mm-hmm. They expect it to bring about 350,000 cruise passengers in 2016. And the Carnival executives, you heard them, they think that virtually everybody is going to get off the ship and go explore. So, you know, we'll have to see. But, you know, there's a curiosity about the place, so people will want to check it out. And speaking of curiosity, uh, Amber Cove isn't one of those cruise ports like Nassau or Cozumel where you can get off the ship and go explore. You have to know where you're going if you're going to leave the cruise pier. Am I saying that correct? Right. That's exactly right. So you pretty much do have to book a shore excursion to see beyond or take a taxi somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that said, we also should add that there is no beach at Amber Cove. Um, you know, Grand Turk has beaches and Mahogany Bay does. And a lot of people, when there's a beach, they go on to land and they just stay in that port all day. Yeah. You know, a lot of people love those carnival-built ports. But in Amber Cove, if you if you have your heart set on the beach, you have to buy a shore excursion or take a taxi. Um, they do have several shore excursions that include a day at the beach, and some of them include you know are inclusive and include food and things like that. So that is an important note. Yeah, and, and the beach isn't. I mean, there's a hotel that sells a day pass right next to the cruise pier. Probably have to take a, a little cab to get over there, but there is a beach close, so you're not far from a beach. But let's talk about going outside of the city gates because. There's the city center, and there's a bunch of tours, and a, it's a pretty cool place outside those gates. Yeah, it is. You know, there's the um, the historic, you know, boardwalk, Malacan, uh, you know, right on the, the Atlantic Ocean, which is what it is on the north side of the Dominican Republic. You know, there's an old fort there. Some of the tours take you to the local rum factory, which is kind of fun. You can have tastings. Some of the tours will take you into the town square, you know, the main plaza. And the tourism minister told me that they were going to have, like they did for us, music, dancers, try to make it a festive atmosphere. Because as you said earlier, they want to get it right this time. They want the tourists to be entertained, to feel welcomed. So they're really going all out for Carnival and its passengers. You could also do expedition-type tours or go down to the beach or go down to the river. Uh, Carnival said there's going to be over 40 tours there, right? Yeah, that's the number I have, 42. And I actually went through them um, yesterday and looked at a bunch of them. There's all sorts of different things. Also nearby is a place called Ocean World, which is sort of a marine um, amusement park, but also with an educational um, bent to it. There's an amber museum in Porta Plata because apparently amber is very plentiful there. And it's said to be a high-quality clear amber. And one cool thing about Amber Cove, and they told us that uh, wasn't it a scene uh, from Jurassic Park was shot there? It was 
partially, they said it was partially filmed in the first Jurassic Park movie because remember it began with the dinosaurs were created mm-hmm. using DNA from an insect that had been trapped in um, a block of amber. That's right, yeah. So, <laughs> kind of fun. In closing here, Amber Cove opens in less than a week with Carnival Victory. Uh, what are your final thoughts of Amber Cove and the Cruise Pier? Well, I thought it was a very interesting place. I think they did a really nice job on the development. People who want to, you know, just relax will enjoy the pool and the restaurants um, or the cabanas. And those who want to explore have plenty of options to explore a new new cruise destination. Very well. We've been talking with the cruise editor at TravelPulse.com, Teresa Norton-Massick. Teresa, always a pleasure, my dear. Oh, thanks. It's always a pleasure, Doug. For over 42 years, Park West Gallery has introduced over 1.3 million people to fine art. Here's what actual customers are saying. I've been collecting with Park West five, six years now. Six years. Nine years. Ten years. Everybody we meet at Park West makes you feel comfortable. You're part of their family. It is an exciting and fun experience. It is enjoyable, uplifting. Park West has been so kind to us. Park West makes us excited to spend money on art. To find out more about Park West Gallery, visit parkwestgallery.com or go to cruiseradio.net and click on the Park West Gallery icon. Every day, thousands of cruisers set sail to the Caribbean and are increasingly choosing their shore excursions through cruisingexcursions.com. Why cruising excursions? With prices up to 60% lower than cruise lines, around-the-clock customer service, and guarantees that give you a peace of mind, why not? So whether you're looking to zip line in Jamaica, snorkel in Nassau, or see Mayan ruins in Mexico, market-leading specialist cruisingexcursions.com has you covered. Book your family's next shore excursion at cruisingexcursions.com. We always like to get your reviews here on the show. If you have a review you'd like to share, shoot me an email, Doug, at cruiseradio.net. Chris just got back from a 12-night Norway and Iceland cruise out of England. He was on Royal Caribbean's Brilliance of the Seas, and he joins us this evening. How's it going, my friend? It's going well. Thank you, Doug. Yeah, I haven't talked to you in a while, so it's good to talk to you again. Uh, This 12-night cruise sounds really cool here, so give us some pre-cruise thoughts. Let's take a step back, and what made you want to uh, take this cruise? The itinerary. Um, I had heard lots of great things about Norway. Iceland was also intriguing, and it had very long port days. It had an overnight in Iceland, so it was just kind of a sweet spot type of itinerary. It was the one and only one they were doing this year, and the ports were very intriguing. Now, did you take the uh, your wife and kid on this one? I did. Nice. I have an eight-year-old, and then, of course, I won't say my wife's age out of uh, <laughs> uh, marital bliss. Eight years old. He's growing up. He is. Yeah, yeah. This was his 13th cruise. I remember uh, one of our first conversations, he was just a little one, and he was in, I think, Holland America's uh, kid program there. Wow. Yeah, I think it was yeah. five back then. Yeah, yeah. Time flies. So uh, you're actually in California, and you had to get to England. So talk to us about the logistics there. Yeah, it's a long flight. Actually getting home, uh, we realized we were 24 hours door-to-door before we got home. So from the minute we stepped off the ship to the minute we stepped through our front door, after arriving home, it was 24 hours of travel. So it, you know, when you do these European cruises, especially if you're from the West Coast, you have to really want to do them because you're Mm going to spend a lot of time flying there and back. So it's definitely worth going in a few days early or staying a few days later to not only maximize the travel time, but the expense and to enjoy some touring. 
before and after. Did you get in early? We did. We got in a few days early um, and saw the sights in London, you know, the castles, the Tower mm-hmm. of London, etc. My wife and I had been to London before, but this was my son's first trip, so seeing the historical sites was really one of the things he enjoyed a lot. Very nice. Now let's talk about uh, once you get to Brilliance of the Seas, how was embarkation for you? Embarkation was great there. Um, they actually had a separate line for Platinum and Up members, mm-hmm. not only for check-in, but for the um, security screen. So we got on really fast, which was, was good because to get to Harwich, it's a good two-and-a-half-hour drive from the center of London. So you it, you have to plan a lot of time to get there. You said it was a pretty fast getting on the ship. How, how fast yeah. would you say from curbside to stepping on ship? Like How long did that take you, did you think? Maybe 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. That yeah, was super fast. <laughs> That's like yeah. record time. So you, uh, I mean, The porters come to your shuttle, take the luggage, and you breeze right through. I mean, there was no wait at all. I think it, the longest wait was filling out the... You know, the form, you know, have you had any illness over the last three days? Well, you know, that's almost uh, as fast as Terminal 18 in Fort Lauderdale, boarding Allure of the Seas. That's a, yeah, I'll be there next year. So yeah, I hope awesome. It's a, that's still that good. <laughs> nice. Uh, so you get on Brilliance of the Seas. What was your first impressions of the ship? We had been on the Jewel back in January, mm-hmm. so we kind of knew what the Radiance class was all about. One difference was the Brilliance has undergone the revitalization program. Mm-hmm. But in the general layout, it's a great ship, lots of glass. I think they say there's more than an acre worth of glass. Wow. And generally, the flow is really good. It's, you know, it's, it's harbors back to the traditional centrum style ships, not mm-hmm. these big kind of Piazza Plaza ships. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed the ship. Um, it, was, it kind of felt like going home since we were just on the sister ship not that long ago. Yeah, those, that's a Radiance-class ship, right? Correct. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I, I like those ships. I was actually, I sailed Jewel, and uh, yeah, there was, there was a ton of glass on Jewel, so it's the same thing. Yeah, you're in for a treat there. You were on this ship for 12 nights, so talk to us about the stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you get, and what were your impressions of it? We originally had a balcony, but when the prices dropped for the ocean views, we couldn't justify the price of the balcony. Mm-hmm. So we went down to a porthole ocean view because the savings actually paid for the next cruise. Oh, wow. You know, it's your typical 175-square-foot cabin. Um, it worked really well. The only kind of odd thing is we were so low, it made it really great for port days because we could literally walk out our cabin and be off the ship in about 50 steps mm-hmm. because the uh, boarding was always done on deck, too. Okay. But we hit some rough seas in the, um, I believe it's the North Sea, mm-hmm. and so a few times our window was covered in water, so the waves were high enough that they were breaking over the top of our porthole, so that was a little kind of strange. Oh, wow. So your stateroom was just under 200 square feet. Uh, how was it as far as space-wise for you, the wife, and the child? Good. You know, the luggage fits well under the um, bed. You got plenty of uh, storage behind the mirrors and in the cupboards, and uh more than enough space in the closet. You basically have three closets if you consider the whole width. So we had no problem, even though we had, you know, almost three weeks worth of clothing. Nice. Now, uh, let's switch gears here and talk about dining on board the ship. As you said, this ship did go under uh, undergo the revitalization, so it got some added restaurants to it. But let's start at the Windjammer at the top and work our way down. So what were your impressions of the Windjammer Buffet? The Windjammer was good, especially for dinner. They really upped the game at dinner with full-on international cheese selection. They even had hard ice cream for dessert. Mm-hmm. They always had a two-order station, 
that range from Italian to Mexican to Indian food. It got a little crowded at lunchtime, and I think because this was such a port-intensive itinerary, you had a lot of people going to the Windjammer at the same time rather than spreading it out throughout the day. And it was a bit colder. I think the highest the temperature ever got was low to mid-50s. Wow. So that also kept people from dining outside. So it, it led to a little more crowdedness in the windjammer than normal. But food was good. We, um, you know, sometimes you had to hunt for a table, but not terribly hard. And uh, I, overall, I would say I was quite impressed with the windjammer. Uh, let's talk about the main dining room. What kind of dining time did you have, first off? We did uh, my time or any time. I'm not sure what. They call it, but, sure. you know, go when you wish type dining. Sure, and uh, what would you uh, think of it? You know, I would actually say, I think this was our 22nd cruise. It was among the best food we've had on any cruise. Wow. I don't know if they upped the game because it was a long sailing or because it was a, a higher price itinerary, um, but they had the traditional menu. It just seemed like it was better quality than when we were on the Jewel, and the Jewel had good food, don't get me wrong, but... Mm. There was a noticeable difference, and they also spiced it up because they had usually two Indian dishes per night Mm -hmm. and at least one um, English dish. So I like the added variety. Do they do, like, uh, when they're sailing up there in northern Europe, do they do regional cuisine on the ships? Other than the Indian and English dishes, they didn't have, like, a theme per se. They pretty much had a modified traditional menu, and Royal Caribbean tends to theme them after like spices. So I think there's like a Pomodoro menu, a basil menu along those lines. Gotcha. Did you do any specialty venues on there? Yeah, we did. We did uh, Rita's Cantina just for a snack one day. Mm -hmm. Nachos, I think it was like two bucks. It wasn't anything extravagant. But we did do the Italian restaurant, which was Giovanni's Table, Mm -hmm. and that was very good. And they also offer an $8 option for kids, which uh, allows you to enjoy it with them. Uh, for a reduced price. And then we did Chops. And I have to say that Chops was phenomenal. We had a mediocre experience on the Jewel, but on the Brilliance, it was just phenomenal. And we were fortunate enough to dine in there when we sailed out of uh, Geringer, the Norwegian fjord. So we had, you know, three-hour dinner with scenic fjords as we sailed out. So that was fabulous. you got to love that. Uh, How much was Giovanni's table? Giovanni's, we ate there on the first night, so we got a 20% discount. Uh-huh. And so I want to say it was around $20. I think it's normally 25 Okay, and uh, so, Chops is what, 25 as well? 30 30 And we actually got that as a booking bonus, so that was actually complimentary for us. Nice. And it was worth every penny. Very cool. Uh, let's Free talk- or otherwise. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about entertainment on board the ship. How was that for you? And also touch on the kids' program, uh, if your kid did any of that. Yeah, my kid, he adores the kids' program, so he was there every day, anytime he could be there. The kids' program was great. They actually merged the, I think they do 3 to 7 and then like 7 to 9. I'm not sure the breakdown, or 9 to 11. Um, they actually didn't have as many kids in those age groups as they expected, so they merged the two uh, programs together. He enjoyed it uh, many times in port. He ended up playing with the kids he was in the kids' club with, so they all hit it off very, very well. He actually picked up some proper English, as he calls it, (laughs) from being in the kids' club. And the entertainment, you have to know with English cruises or any cruise in um, Europe that because there's so many different 
nationalities and uh, languages. They tend to do more musical and kind of physical comedy dancing type of numbers. So there was a lot more music than I would normally go to in the main theater. All performers were good, but I'm more into the comedian, magician type of stuff. And they didn't have as much of that, uh, which was expected. But they did up their game when it came to the lounges. They had a classical musician trio. Probably the best entertainment I ever saw on the ship was actually one of the headliners. It was called Graffiti Classics, which is uh, classical music, but then they break into country and western and have some comedy skits. So it's very interesting. Very cool. Uh, One thing that defines the way a cruise ship handles is how it behaves at sea as far as passenger flow, uh, both inside and outside of the ship. So how was your sea days? Sea days were fine. You you definitely felt the people. Mm -hmm. And that was, again, mainly a consequence of the weather. We really only hit rain when we were at sea, which is, you know, all things being equal, you'd rather have it at sea than when you're in port. Sure. Um, But it, it did push people inside. So that's, uh, I think, part of the reason the Windjammer sometimes felt a little more crowded at times. But, um, you know, the pool deck was not utilized much because of the cold weather. Mm -hmm. So even when they had the movies up on deck at night, you maybe saw five people up there. It's been years since I've been on a Radiance-class ship. Uh, Is there a solarium in there with, like, an enclosed pool? There is. And because this is a colder weather itinerary, they do open that, that pool up in the afternoons, I think from four to six, mm-hmm. if I remember the times correctly, for children. But normally it's 16 and up. Okay, very nice. Okay, well, let's uh, talk about the ports you did hit on this 12 night sailing. What ports did you hit and which one was your favorite? Oh, good question. <laughs> they were all great. Yeah. Um, I would probably say Garanger with the fjords was mm-hmm. my favorite overall. But we hit Bergen. First, we did a hop-on-hop-off bus and the funicular and did some hiking at the top of the mountain. Um, Also explored the fish market and a farmer's market. So that was enjoyable. Ate lunch in town. Um, In Allison, we did the troll road. We rented a car on our own, um, which was much more affordable. And um, the troll road is a road that has about 11 hairpin turns it seems to be in a lot of movies with car chases and high-speed um, uh-huh. drives. So if you ever looked it up, you definitely would recognize it. Um, and then we hiked around there, had lunch at the top, drove back through the country, did some undersea tunnels, and uh, just got back to the ship. It was a great town. And then in Garanger, we did a rigid inflatable boat, which just takes you out uh, kind of high-speed for an hour into the fjord so you can get close to the sides and see it. And then we stopped after a sea day. We went to the uh, Faroe Islands for a day, Mm -hmm. saw the sea cliffs there, had another sea day, and then spent two days in Iceland, uh, Reykjavik. And we uh, did the Golden Circle tour on our own with a rental car and did Blue Lagoon, which is a famous um, kind of yeah, spa. Yeah, nice. You um, you said you you overnighted in, in, uh, in Iceland then? Yeah, yeah, and that was one of the reasons why we really wanted to do this tour. Not only did we have great port times in Norway, and we obviously got the fjords, which is a UNESCO, I believe, World Heritage mm-hmm. site. We were also docked there. Two other ships had to tender, so that was another plus. But yeah, we had the overnight in uh, Iceland, which allowed us to, you know, leisurely explore Iceland without having to rush to get back or worrying about our time and all that. Gotcha. So uh, was that your last port, Iceland? 
It was, and then it took us uh, about two days to get back to uh, England. Very nice. Let's talk about some been there, done that tips you may have for listeners considering either the Norway-Iceland cruise or sailing Brilliance of the Seas. Do you have any tips for us? Definitely go in at least a day early, um, as uh, I think many of your uh, listeners have said in previous reviews, it, it takes some of the stress off of getting there. It gives you time to adjust to the time change and realize that it's a pretty good haul to get to the ship from any of the airports in London. Um, so just be mindful of that because I think the ship left at 4 o'clock, which is a little earlier than most North American cruises. Yeah. And I wouldn't hesitate to take Brilliance again. We're going to take her sister, the Serenade, on a Northern Europe cruise next year. So obviously we must have had a good time. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, in the last couple seconds here, give us your final thoughts of Brilliance of the Seas. Great ship, especially if you're doing a scenic itinerary. Having that glass allows you to see just about anything from anywhere. Uh, she's a good size, um, you know, has enough features to not feel like you're missing out, but not overly huge that you feel like you're in a floating choppy mall. Very nice. We've been talking with Chris. Him and his family just returned from a 12-night Norway-Iceland cruise aboard Royal Caribbean's Brilliance of the Seas. Chris, good talking to you, my friend, and thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Good talking to you. Thank you, Doug. Cruise Radio is produced weekly at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Hear Cruise Radio on iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Overseas Radio Network, iTunes, or at CruiseRadio.net. For sales and marketing opportunities, email sales at CruiseRadio.net. I'm your announcer.